Well, thank you again for being here. It's Orange Day here at New City. And simply what Orange Day is, is it's a celebration. It's a celebration of two of the most powerful influences on the planet. Two jet engines, if you will, that God made that power his kingdom. The first is the family or the home. And the second is the church. And when the love of the family combines with the light of the church, big things happen. That's where we get orange from, right? Because red represents the love of the family. Yellow represents the light of the church. And when you put them together, we can do some mighty things for the kingdom of God. Now, did you know that the average church gets around 40 hours per year with a child? And the average parent gets around 3,000 hours per year their child. Now, when these two combined influences come together, they are more powerful than each of them are individually. In fact, God designed individual families to live within his family. And so the synergy between these two forces working together to raise up a new generation of Christ followers is proof of a loving, a living, and a faithful God. And it's also proof that his kingdom is, in fact, advancing in the earth. And no one has more potential on a child's relationship with God than their family. And no one has more potential influence on a family's relationship with God than the church. Now, I want to be clear today for those of us that are in the room and you may be unmarried or maybe you don't have children. This indeed is a whole church focus. Amen? This is a whole church focus. It doesn't matter what your marital status is. It doesn't matter whether you are a parent or not because you are still created, called, and gifted to be a person of influence. The Apostle Paul didn't have any kids in his home, but he was a dad, right? He was a spiritual father. Jesus was never married, but he was a part of God's eternal family. And so when we, as the church and as families, come together we can raise up a resilient generation of Christ followers, a generation that can withstand all of the storms of our time and can put down deep roots into the kingdom of God. And so we need the next generation more interested in living the bigger story of God than posting a better picture of themselves. We need the next generation more interested in living the bigger story of God than they are posting a better picture of themselves. So for us, I, we, we, I think about what this could look like, right? Helping our kids and our students find and follow Jesus so that they can help others do the same. We've been talking about it over the last couple of weeks. In a word, it's discipleship. Discipleship, the journey of finding and following Jesus for ourselves and then helping other people do the same thing. Now, for a moment, I want to talk specifically about New City Next Gen Discipleship. How do we accomplish New City Next Gen Discipleship? Now, for that, I want to go back. I want to go back to Jesus' final words, what he spoke to his disciples. Let me read it for you, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in this passage, Jesus answers how we are to accomplish discipleship in our next gen. It's the same as the way we would accomplish discipleship among us as adults. The first thing he says is baptism in the name of the Trinity. Baptism in the name of the Trinity. Now, I want to I wanna talk for a minute about what baptism, baptism in the name of the Trinity, the two questions that it helps to answer. It answers the first question, where do I belong? Where do I belong? Where do our children belong? The answer is that, right? Because they belong, we belong in God's family. So it deals with the issue of belonging. Deals with the issue of belonging. The second question that this baptism in the name of the Trinity deals with is who am I? Who am I? Truth is, many of us as adults in this room still struggle with that question, don't we? Who am I? Jesus answers this question. Says that we are children of God. So not only does baptism in the name of the Trinity deal with belonging, it also deals with identity. It also deals with identity. And Abigail and Eli, what we witnessed today wasn't just the outward act of baptism. We, we witnessed them stepping into God's family. We witness them getting a step closer to knowing who they are in Christ, their identity. That's what we witness today. So Jesus says baptism in the name of the Trinity. Then he says teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands of Jesus. So while the first part of this command deals with belonging and identity, the second part deals with two questions as well. The first is this, is there truth? Is there truth for us to live by, for our children to live by? Is there truth? One of the things that this reminds me of is as Pilate stood before Jesus, he said, what is truth? Truth was standing right in front of him and he asked the question, what is truth? And so in the culture that we live in today, we need constant reminders of what the truth is. So when he says, teach them to obey all the things that Jesus taught, Jesus taught on all kinds of things, didn't he? He taught on forgiveness, sin, lust, greed, prayer, servant, leadership, parenting, divorce. He taught on everything. And our children need to know that this is the truth that they can live by. This is the truth that they can set up in their lives as pillars, as rules for life for them. So teaching what Jesus taught deals with the question, is there truth? It answers that question. But it also answers the question, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is, what is the mission that I am to step into? What's the mission that, I'm wor that is worth me giving my life to? It answers that question. And that mission is to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. See, when we do that, other things become clear. Jesus said in John 4, 34, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. What's God's will for you? Make, go and make disciples. And I believe that when we do that, the work will show up. The work will become clear. Far too many of us are, are focused or distracted on God. What is the work you have for me to do? While we abandon what his will is. 
And so for our children, baptism is important and teaching them what Jesus taught is important because it helps to answer the question, what is my purpose? Purpose is to follow the Great Commission, to follow Jesus' commands, to find and follow him and to help others do the same. To do what Jesus said in Mark 1.17 when he said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Our pastor, Chris Payne, told a great story this week of a child that came forward last week after hearing the message. He came forward and said, hey, I want to I help my friends at school and my teachers find and follow Jesus. That's what our purpose is. That's what, that's what, that's what our, our children are purpose to do from God. That's what their purpose is. And so here at NextGen, our NextGen team has done a great job and our communications team has done a great job of putting together a graphic that illustrates this journey, this, this NextGen discipleship journey. This is what it looks like. It's moving our children from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. Now, if you notice, you see belonging, identity, truth, and purpose. And a discipleship journey moves us from being all about self to being all about God. Now, I want you to notice that the circles are full when we are in Christ. But when we're not in Christ, they're empty. Now, get this. We're all looking for these things. Everybody in this room, we're all looking and searching to belong for identity, for truth, and for purpose. And this discipleship journey of having our emptiness filled in Christ is something that we have to do over and over and over again. Because we never arrive, amen, somebody. We never arrive in our relationship with Christ. So this journey is a constant journey that we walk on. And we, not, we need our children to know that they have a place to belong in God's family. This is the place where they discover their identity in Christ, not what the world tells them. This is the place where they can know without a shadow of a doubt what the truth is. And then they could be sent out into the world ready and on purpose, clear about what their purpose is. And this is important for us here at New City. And our next-gen team has been doing an amazing job of instilling these principles into our children. And so the emphasis with our preschoolers is belonging. The emphasis in elementary is identity. In middle grades, it's truth. And in high school, it's purpose. Now, each of our grade levels embody all of this, but those are what the emphasis emphasis are on each grade level. And one of the ways we're doing this here at New City is through New City Catechism. New City Catechism. That's a picture there of, of the resource there. All our fifth and sixth graders here at New City go through New City Catechism. This, this resource is available for you at the Parents Resource Center on the next-gen side of our building, just inside the next-gen entrance. And this is why it's important when you hear me say, I need some of you to say yes to volunteering and helping out with our children. Because the more voices that they can hear from about the truth of God, who they are in Christ, that they belong in God's family, and that they are purposed by God, the better off they'll be. I don't know about you, but I need all the reminders I can get of just how loved I am, how called I am, and how gifted I am. And our children are no different. Our children are no different. Now, let me, let me talk about your family for a minute. Can I do that? I want, to talk about, I want to talk about your family specifically for a minute. Anybody remember MTV? 
Anybody here old enough to remember MTV? Okay, now, if you remember MTV, does anybody remember the show My Super Sweet 16? Anybody remember that show? Now, uh, yeah, ashamedly, I do. I, I used to watch it. Now, don't, don't judge me. But, but, but that show, if you remember the show, right, it showed these over-the-top lavish parties that these families would give for their Sweet 16. I mean, some of them would... The, the, Family would come up and you'll see a, a Mercedes Benz with a, with a red bow on the top of it for a 16-year-old. Now, I'm not, I'm not knocking what nobody does. Okay, I'm not knocking. Now, if you got it and you want to bless your children, by all means, do it. But I want to talk for a minute about the other side of this, right, the other side of this. Because undoubtedly, there are parents that see things like that. They see things on social media and they feel inadequate as a parent. They feel less than as a parent. And culture has a way of doing that to us, doesn't it? Has a way of doing that to us, whether it's on our job, as parents, as married, as single. Culture, culture has a way of making us feel like we're not good enough. And it, I, need to, I need you to know that it does the same thing to our children and does the same thing to us as parents. We look at all of these things and that, that other people and parents can provide for their children and it makes us question what we're doing, whether, whether it's enough. And so I need you to know that what we leave for our children is nothing compared to what we leave in our children, in their hearts. Can I say that again? What we leave for our children is nothing compared to what we leave in our children, in their hearts. To me, that's legacy. Leaving in them the truth of God, that they belong in God's family, that they are purposed to carry out, to advance the mission of Christ, and that his truth is truth that they can stand on in a dark, lost, and lonely world, that is the legacy that we should all be striving to leave for our children. Whether they are our biological children, whether they are our spiritual children, no matter what they are, we are all called to step into this. And the things that we give our kids cannot be compared to the story that we're telling them. I need you to hear me. The things that you give them can't be compared to the story that your life tells them. One of my mentors said years ago, learn to listen to people with your eyes. Because their lips will tell you anything. And so what am I saying? What you live, how you live in front of your children is the story that you're telling them. And for some of us, we think we got to be perfect. We got to be the perfect family, the perfect parent to partner with the church or to partner with God in raising our children. I need you to think again. You don't have to be, the truth is, here's a newsflash, none of us are perfect. Nobody in this room is perfect. And so we try to live, some of us, we try to live this way in front of our children. Now, I'm not saying don't use wisdom to, to, to what you allow them to witness, but for some of us, it gets in the way. Listen to some of the, some of the families in the Bible that God used to tell his story. Noah. Noah had a drinking problem, was wildly inappropriate with his family. Abraham offered his wife to another man. Rebecca schemed with her son Jacob against her own husband. Schemed with her son against her own husband. Jacob his sons, you remember the story, sold their brother Joseph into slavery. David, a man after God's own heart, he had an affair. His son, Absalom, started a rebellion. Eli, 
was a priest who lost control of his sons in the temple. Mary and Joseph lost their son for three days. <laughs> the first family, Adam and Eve, single-handedly started the downfall of all humanity. So with that in mind, I think we're doing okay. I think we're doing okay. Because the truth, the truth is that the role of parents and the church, spiritual parents, is not to impress our children with how good we are. It's to impress upon them how good God is. And so when we baptize them into their new identity in Christ, we're baptizing them into his forever family, and we teach them the truth and the purposes that God has set for each of them. And so let me talk now for a minute about how we do this. How do we do this? There, there are two different approaches to this. The first approach is, approaches by, by approaches I mean discipling our kids, helping them live into their story. The first is a better picture. Posting, right? A better picture. Now, to some degree, we all do this, right? We, we fall prey to the temptation to do better, to be better, to look good on the outside, right? We all fall into this to look good on the outside. Uh, there's, a, there's a saying, you probably heard it, it said, it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. You ever heard that? Let me give you an example. When you take a picture with a group of friends and somebody says, let me see. No, no, let's take it over. Let's, let's do the picture over. Why do they say that? Because they don't like the way they look in the picture, right? It could be a good picture, but they don't like the way they look in the picture. And so in life, we're consumed with that. We're consumed with how we look on the outside, how people perceive us. And our kids are watching this. They see this. They're watching this. They see this, and it gets them into the religiosity outside is all that matters frame of mind. This is, this is what that does. They're watching us. They see how we live. They see that we're one way in church and we're another way when we go home. Our children see that. They see that. And that's the problem, right? That's the problem. They see how we are on the outside, but they live with us on the inside of our homes. They see how we are in church, and they know that the picture isn't authentic. They know that. They know that it's not the picture is not authentic. So we can either live that way, the way of a better picture, or the other way we can do it is through a bigger story, through a bigger story. See, when we live into the bigger story, instead of posting, we're inviting. We're inviting our kids into the bigger story of God. Yeah, things might not be good with mommy and daddy right now. Things might not be the best, but there's a bigger story. There's a bigger story happening here. And the best way for us to do that is for us as individuals, as parents, to step into the bigger story of God and give our kids a front row seat. It's the best way for us to do that. Step into the story for ourselves and allow our children to watch. Because God is not interested in posting better pictures to tell a bogus story. God is not interested in that. God is interested in using broken, broken people, like you and me, broken people to tell his bigger story. He's interested in using broken people to tell his bigger story. 
just share with you uh, some of the people in Scripture that did mighty things for the kingdom of God, but they were just like you and me, weren't they? They were broken. They were damaged. And the Bible isn't a collection of perfect pictures. It's the story of a bigger God. And, and your life and my life is the same way. It's the story of a bigger God, the God that brought you out years ago and the God that will bring you out again. The God that will see you through the seasons of discouragement, the seasons of disappointment, the seasons of rejection. He'll bring you through. He'll bring you out. And so it's for us to keep in mind the bigger story. Little did I know years ago as I was going through my value in the valley that part of the bigger story of God for my life was for me to be here. And so we get distracted. We get distracted by the things of life, the issues of life. But I believe that God is calling us to remember the bigger story. Because God came to find us and he came to love us. And so what if, what if you stop trying to post the perfect picture? What if, you st what if you stop trying to post the perfect picture of your family, of your walk with God? What if, what if you stop trying to do that? And what if we collectively and individually allowed God to paint the bigger story of his grace and his love? What if we, what if we stepped into that individually and collectively? I always say that the greatest way to say thank you to God is to live a life of gratitude. To live a life that demonstrates to God, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm not perfect, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Because, friends, the bottom line is God isn't interested in posting better pictures. God is interested in telling bigger stories. And I believe that God wants to t tell a bigger story of his grace and his love through your life. He wants to tell a bigger story of his grace and his love through Abigail's life, through Eli's life through all of our children. And so we need to help the next generation find and follow Jesus and live the bigger, the better story of God and to help others find and follow him as well. So I believe that the moment that we witnessed today with those two children, I believe that that's only part of the story that God will use to help both of them help somebody else find and follow the king. Before I go, I want to share uh, a story by Philip Gully. Um, it's a growing roots story. It's a growing roots story. Some of you may have heard this story. The story goes as follows, growing roots. I had an old neighbor when I was growing up named Dr. Gibbs. He didn't look like any doctor I'd ever known. Every time I saw him, he was wearing denim overalls and a straw hat, the front brim of which was green, sunglass plastic. He smiled a lot, a smile that matched his hat, old and crinkly. He never yelled at us for playing in his yard. I remember him as someone who was a lot nicer than circumstances warranted. When Dr. Gibbs wasn't saving lives, he was planting trees. His house sat on 10 acres, and his life's goal was to make it a forest. The good doctor has some interesting theories concerning plant husbandry. He came from the no pain, no gain school of horticulture. He never watered his trees. 
which flew in the face of conventional wisdom. Once I asked why, he said that watering plants spoil them. That if you give, that if you water them, each successive tree generation will grow weaker and weaker. So you have to make things a little rough and weed out the weedy trees early on. He talked about how watering trees made for shallow roots. And our trees that weren't watered had to grow deep roots in search of moisture. I took him to mean that deep roots were to be treasured. So he never watered his trees. He'd plant an oak tree and instead of watering it every morning, he'd beat it with a rolled up newspaper. Smack, slap, pow. I asked him why he did that. And he said it was to get the tree's attention. Dr. Gibbs went to glory a couple years after I left home. And every now and again, I'd walk by his house and look at the trees I'd watched him plant some 25 years ago. They were granite strong now, big and robust. Those trees wake up in the morning and beat their chest and drink their coffee black. I planted a couple trees a few years back. Carried water them for a solid summer. Sprayed them, prayed over them, the whole nine yards. Two years of coddling them has resulted in trees that expect to be weighted on hand and foot. Whenever a cold wind blows in, they tremble and chatter their branches. Sissy trees. Funny thing about those trees Dr. Gibbs planted, adversity and deprivation seem to benefit them in ways comfort and ease could never. Every night before I go to bed, I go check on my two sons. I stand over them and watch their little bodies, the rising and falling of life within. I often pray for them. Mostly I pray that their lives will be easy. Lord, spare them from hardship. But lately, I've been thinking that it's time to change my prayer. Now, it has everything to do with the inevitability of cold winds that hit us all to the core. I know my children are going to encounter hardship. And my praying they won't is naive. There's a cold wind blowing somewhere. So, I'm changing my evening prayer because life is tough, whether we want it to be or not. Instead, I'm going to pray that my son's roots grow deep so they can draw strength from the hidden sources of the eternal God. Too many times we pray for ease, but that's a prayer seldom met. What we need to do is pray for roots that reach deep into the eternal. So when the rains inevitably fall and the winds inevitably blow, they won't be swept away. And that's my heart. And that's my prayer for our children. Is that they will grow roots that run deep. So that when the storms of life come, they won't be swept away. What if, while they watched your life as their parents, they were, they were able to witness that? They were able to witness the storms and the winds blowing your life. But they could see that their mom and their dad had roots that ran deep and they were never swept away. 
So I'm believing God for some mighty things for our children. I'm believing that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. I'm believing that early in life they will be clear on their purpose from God. That they would know his unshakable truth. And they would choose to live that truth out all the days of their lives. Amen? To God be the glory. Let's pray. So God, I thank you for the gift of these children. Thank you for giving us stewardship over them for they belong to you. And so God, I pray now that you would help us to remember that they are your masterpieces, God. Fearfully and wonderfully made. And I pray, God, that they would not follow the advice of the wicked, nor would they stand around with sinners, nor would they join in with mockers. But our prayer, God, is that they would delight in your law, that they would meditate on it day and night, that they would be like trees with deep roots planted along the riverbank. That they would bear fruit in each season. I pray that their leaves would never wither, God, and that they would prosper in all that they do. I thank you that they have their place in you. They belong in your family. That they would know that they are your children they would stand on your truth and that they would know their purpose. For your word says that you watch over the path of the godly and that the path of the wicked leads to destruction. So we lift up our children today, God. We set them at your feet. And we believe that every good thing, every plan, every purpose that you have for them, it shall come to pass. Thank you that they belong to you. Lead them and guide them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.